going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Thank you, Capital. It is going deep with Donovan Bennett, joined by Shawli, and I was on Tim and Friends yesterday, and was having an extension of the Raptors conversation that we had yesterday morning with Rel Richards. Show I don't know if you saw it or heard it. It went viral is too aggressive of a word but it was the only thing that was mentioned in my mentions here's what i said raptors twitter can we just calm down please mm, oh my God. i know like the, the 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 bird app is a bit different because you don't see tweets happen in real order you just get an algorithm of foolishness but i feel like every little thing every turnover every missed shot every made bucket is a referendum on that player and not even the merits of that player often the character of that player did we not learn when we did this with pascal in the bubble did we not learn when we we did this with Masai when everyone was willing to ship him out of the country when he i don't know dared to trade DeMar DeRozan because he had a loyalty tattoo? And then we said, oh, our bad. We won a championship. Did we not learn when when we lost and I kind of lost it, when we, they didn't draft Jalen Suggs because we watched three Gonzaga games during the tournament and had never heard of Scotty Barnes? And, oh, my God. Scotty Barnes won Rookie of the Year. Can we just calm down? It sucks. Yes, it sucks to watch your team try hard and lose. You know what that's called? Being a Raptors fan for the first 20 years of the franchise. So, can I give some grace, some space, some benefit of doubt to B.W., Bobby Webster, and the Lord Masai Ujiri to do work or not do work? The Lord Masai Ujiri. I'm not really sure what the right answer is because I'm not sure, Jesse and Tim, optimally what the ceiling is for this group if you kept them together. And I'm not sure, based off the roster construction, if we'll ever see an optimal output out of all of them at the same time. But I also know that if you just have a Boxing Day sale and keep a couple pieces, some of those pieces are so good, you're not going to be as bad as Detroit. You're not going to be as, without Cade Cunningham. You're not going to be as bad as Houston. So you're tearing it all down for a what percentage chance at Scooter or Wembanyama? Now, so I'm not sure why I got so angry because I generally leave the studio and I'm nice and calm. Sand, maybe that's you rubbing off on me. But something struck a chord with me. Did I go too far? What, from what you heard, made any sort of sense? I definitely like that you just told people to just like, you know, Aaron Rodgers style, relax. <laughs> just relax a little bit. I, I do agree with you in that the Raptors fan base, and I've said this a couple times, but has not been this ornery in quite some time because it certainly feels as though the entire fan base is very split. It's essentially every time the Raptors win a game, it's 
this team can compete to a certain degree. How far can they go? Is a first round exit or a second round exit in the playoffs on the table? Because the rest of the Eastern Conference is like after the top four teams, a bit of a mish- mishmash, I would say. And then the other half definitely is team tank, right? You mentioned Scoot and you mentioned Webanyama and like, would I love to see either of those guys play for the Toronto Raptors? Sure. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Get a, get a seven, four Kevin Durant to play for the Raptors. Yeah. 1000%. Is that going to happen? Even if the Raptors sold every piece, okay, I guess it's possible. I don't know how likely it is. So I don't know. I, I think I've over the last couple of weeks, slightly talked myself into being on team tank, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't think that's really in the DNA of Masai Ujiri or Bobby Webster at this point. I don't think playing for the play-in is in their DNA either. I'm team, they have more information than I do, and they literally wake up every day thinking about these things exclusively. And so I'm going to trust the track record. It does not mean that track record is 100%. You can make an argument that maybe you should have traded Kyle Lowry at the deadline, even if the return wasn't commensurate with how you value the player you're going to lose the player anyways. I would argue that the return of Precious Achua alone has been beneficial at this point. But no executive in pro spurts has a 100% batting average. But to cry and moan after every loss, and not just be upset with the outcome, but be upset with the individuals. Yeah. As if the people that we're talking about, Sai Jury, Bobby Webster, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, et cetera, haven't given you great moments and furthermore haven't shown that they are great people. The thing I struggle with is there's no in-between, no room for nuance. It seems to be both with many sections of the fan base, but quite frankly, many sections of the media that often act like fans. You have to wave the flag, rose-colored glasses, everything is happy and positive, or you have to burn it all down. Everyone related to the organization is a sinner, and how dare you make me watch this product, 82 nights here. I just feel like there's... There's got to be room to critique, to say this is suboptimal without saying that the individuals we're watching and covering are nefarious and right. um, they're essentially a dereliction of their duty by not performing to your standards. Because I guarantee you, their own standards are higher than yours. You use the word uh, referendum, and I think that's a good that's a good place to start because it does feel at, at this point, and yeah, like are there are there limitations on the Raptors roster? Yes, are there limitations on virtually every roster in the NBA outside of like I don't know, like maybe a handful? Also, yes. I um the the word referendum definitely reminded me just it, it's not just on these players certainly, but it's just after every win, it certainly feels as though it's a referendum on this team can go far in the playoffs. And after every loss to referendum on how poor a job 
all these people have made in building this team and constructing this team. And it's just so exhausting. It's just exhausting all the time, having to constantly flip from one side of the pendulum to the other. Uh, I like, I get, for example, they, they beat the Blazers the other night on the weekend and team tank was, uh, you know, I'm sure they were hoping, uh, you know, Damian Lillard was going to bring the Blazers back so they can continue to be happy about the tank. And I wouldn't have been super upset about that, but also like at the end of the day, I feel like you watch your favorite teams because you want to watch them win and have fun watching them win. Like that's like, I, I totally get you want your team to be better positioned for the future by having the chance to draft a Wembenyama or a Scoot Henderson or a, a Derek Whitehead or one of the Thompson brothers or something like that. And I'm, Hey, would I love to see like Amen Thompson play for the Raptors at point guard? Yeah, I would, I would really like that. But at the same time, it's just, you can't guarantee those things. I mean, like the other, the other half of it too, Donovan is I think we know in pro sports, I don't really think players and coaches, maybe front offices tank sometimes, but I don't really think players and coaches as the people who are sitting there and, and running up and down the court, and you can extend this to other sports as well, because we just saw this happen in the NFL, players and coaches don't tank, I think. I mean, you can look at lo- what Lovey Smith did with the Houston Texans. This is a guy who, and you talked about this with Cabby to a certain like, extent yesterday, but this is a guy who probably knew he was getting fired, played for a pretty bad, or coached a pretty bad roster in the Houston Texans, and then at the very end of the game, in the Texans-Colts game, Hail Mary gets a touchdown, goes for two. The Texans win the game, and in so doing, knock themselves out of the running for the number one overall draft pick for a team that was probably pretty QB needy. I just find that so fascinating because I think that's a great example, and you can tie this back to the NBA certainly as well. I don't think teams really go out of their way to tank. If there's like, I don't know, I don't know if like incidental tanking is a is a proper term or you can really use that term, but if that if it goes along with the state of the, the roster, then sure. But I don't think players intentionally go out there to, like, brick shots, for example. No, they don't. You put too much into it, and you're still building your own resume as a player. What you put on tape as a basketball player or a football player is what you're going to be graded on in terms of your next contract, other teams looking to acquire you. So, no, players don't. You don't run stairs and lift weights only to, you know, get beaten on the quarter of the field so that you have – couple percentage points higher an opportunity uh, to draft a transcendent player and as one, a, one more ping pong ball in the lottery right and as a competitor you're not thinking about that competitive player you're thinking about you comp- competing and not wanting to give up market share on your own team in your own franchise to a highly touted prospect in the nfl it is a little bit more binary because there isn't a lottery you finished first or second or third that's where you draft and the ability to have that preference, but also have a draft capital is massive because we've seen teams risk it all to go up in the draft to get a player or a quarterback where the NBA, it's not necessarily the same calculus, especially when the lottery muddies the waters. I found what Lovey Smith did is fascinating just yeah. as a human experiment. Because this is a guy who, one, was on the staff when uh, Coach Cully got a one-year deal and then was fired. Knew that that was generally going to be his fate, was lobbying for his job that week. So you, in, in the first year of your deal, first year's not even up, you, when you're already lobbying for why you should stay, you know that it's 
somewhat tenuous and that the Texans have essentially had a three-year love affair with Josh McCown and couldn't hire him because it would be bad PR to hire yeah. a high school football coach off the street when there are a bunch of worthy black candidates, worthy candidates, period, no matter skin color. Now, did they know that in the division, Jim Mercer was just going to be like, I'll hire an unqualified coach off the street. Watch me. It's like, man, if we knew that it was that easy, we would have done this a couple of years ago. And so Lovey Smith, uh, just like Coach Cully was before him, was just a placeholder, uh, someone to, to coach a roster with no talent and no resources to, to accrue those losses and then clean the slate for someone else. We, we see this in corporate Canada, corporate America all the time, where there's a, a shadow president right. who, you know, essentially a consultant comes in, does all the hard work, you know, cleans up the staff, fires a bunch of people, is the bad guy so that, you know, the board and the shareholders can come in and bring in the white knight who's then going to reinvest some, not all, of those resources and be the person who we give the benefit of the doubt in terms of job creation for when someone else was the bad guy and they, they got paid essentially to go put an extension on their cottage. And before you started making that description, I was going to say you were you were the shadow producer of the show. But then you started, <laughs> you, then you kind of went down that rabbit hole. And I thought, okay, maybe we should make that comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then and then so you know this is what we're seeing in pro sports. And so if you're Lovey Smith, it's like, well, I don't I don't care. I'm a competitor. You're not just going to throw these losses on my resume, and it's going to be used, you know by talking heads and pundits as to why I'm not qualified. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with this terrible roster. And with the game on the line, I'm going to go for on fourth down twice, fourth and 12, fourth and 20 got on both. Not only we score, we're going for two. We want to win the game and the juxtaposition of seeing the Colts with Jeff Saturday, coaching them, you know, and got that first win. And then they've been abysmal since and lovey Smith coaching for pride was somewhat fascinating while Chicago Bears fans rejoice. Oh, yeah. Because they now have the first overall pick. When they cut to Cal McNair during the broadcast, he looked furious. He looked so mad. My goodness. Well, and we know this is the thing because the reason why the Miami Dolphins moved on from their coach is because he refused to tank. <laughs> he refused to, to get paid extra. Uh, to tank. So we will see what happens. I do believe that the Holy Trinity of nurse Ujiri and Webster are on the same page and they do have a holistic view on, on what the right course is. Nurse has been asked that repeatedly this year, if he's on the same page with front office and he said, yes, there's an understanding of where they need to go and what the roster needs to be. But I just don't think it is great for anybody to hate watch a basketball team for four months. And that's essentially what this feels like. Yeah, I am looking forward to the trade deadline for a number of reasons. I, I, I am like, for example, I am really hoping there's a reunion with Yaka Pertle, for example. I think there's a Raptors team that could really use a legit 
five, if if only to just alleviate the burdens on the rest of the roster. But like the the going price, according to Michael Grange, is two first round picks for Jakob Pertl. Like that doesn't seem like as much as I would love to see Pertl come back and play in Toronto. That doesn't seem like something the Raptors would necessarily do. No. I. It's funny you say Jakob Pertl because when I'm bouncing around on League Pass, the Raptor that got away that I see and I think. Everything that he does is exactly what this roster needs. But when he was here, those things weren't appreciated. And he was the divisive person on multiple sides of the fan base. Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah, JV. Yeah. It, it, when we talk about this team needing a real, true five, someone that can rebound their position, box out and let others get boards, is an elite screen setter, good touch around the basket like that's that's jv and so it's one of those things where when you have the player or the person in your life or the asset you look at all of the things that are wrong with it how they're beautifully imperfect and then when you're gone you realize that actually there's a a lot that they brought to the equation that maybe i didn't appreciate at the time yeah, it's true. JV, I mean, like, do they win the title in 2019 if JV doesn't get traded in the Marcus Gasol deal? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they do. Maybe they don't based on what Marcus Gasol did in the playoffs on, on Joel Embiid and so on, right? So I think that, like, I'm not knocking Marcus Gasol, but it, it, boy, looking at the current iteration of the Raptors, it would be really nice to see JV play with Pascal Siakam and play with Fred and this kind, this version of them. I mean, because obviously he did play with them before, but yeah, it's true. I think. I mean, look, I, I, he seems to be doing very well for himself in in New Orleans, and that team is, is like a, a team that has been bad for a long time that looks pretty scary now. So I, I, I know Zion is injured, but I, uh, I wish him all the best. But boy, I would love to see someone like JV Pirtle, I don't know, Miles Turner come play for the Raptors. But it's just, I, I just don't think that Masai Ujiri is the kind of person, and Bobby Webster as well, who will make um a big ish move like that which probably still puts them not in the same tier as a Boston, Milwaukee, or Brooklyn. Well, that's exactly why I do think the Raptors need to exercise some patience. And I yeah. saw this a bunch on Twitter after that video went viral. Oh, you're just you know, talking head for MLSC. You're just protecting them. Like, no, listen, I get paid the exact same every second Friday, regardless of what I say about the Raptors. So trust me, I do not have a dog in this fight. But there is something to be said for culture. And you're talking to someone who was Team Tank. I wanted them to be weak for Wiggins, right? Uh, I wanted them to bleed for Embiid. Like, I have been a proponent of tanking because there are so few opportunities to get transformational talent. However, we have seen in recent history that culture does matter. And we often forget the reset on the culture that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and Teresa Resch and others did when they got here to have the franchise in position where they improved their win-loss record every year for seven years in a row. And so whether it was the Phoenix Suns essentially going undefeated in the bubble and just missing out on the last playoff spot, but building the culture under Monty Williams, and then they come back, Booker takes another step, Chris Paul wants to be there and all of a sudden they're in the finals or the new Orleans Pelicans who everyone said Zion's out tank you're making these trades for CJ McCollum. What are you doing? 
we might need to reset. At the end of the year, they said, we're going to go for it. We're going to be this pesky, fun team that's well-coached and Grand Theft Alvarado is you know, picking people's pockets and hiding in the corner. And now look at them. They're in first place. And, yeah. that, and that, that culture continues to bleed over from one season or the other. So once you have the aroma of losing, it's hard to find a deodorant to race it. And I do think when you're trying to develop not just good players, but players with winning habits, with an expectation to win, it's hard to then put the brakes on, put it in neutral, then reverse and say, actually, how about we just give Malachi Flynn 35 minutes a night? Right. See how that works out. Because <laughs> we want a couple more lottery balls. I, I, I think that's just easier said than done when you are raising a competitive atmosphere. Well, and, and look how long it took the Raptors themselves just get out of the quote-unquote losing culture like it basically took a complete franchise reset and i guess you could i guess what like 2010 is when it kind of started when lowry kind of became not when he was traded but i guess when he like became the starting point guard and not sharing the not sharing the role with calderon right so when he became the guy is kind of when things started to turn around and of course Masai Ujiri bleep Brooklyn in the in the first round and so on and I know they ultimately lost that series but at the same time it's just like that it takes a long time for culture to change and it doesn't happen overnight so I would be remiss if I said I would I want that to change again I mean Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and Nick Nurse don't really seem like they're really going anywhere so I don't really it doesn't really feel as though culture will be changing even if they did make any major trades but i but you're right i mean like talking about the balance in the locker room it is a it's a very delicate balance i remember people literally losing their mind when messiah Ujiri had the audacity to trade fan favorite former giants of africa or no basketball without borders camper gravis vasquez mm. People were, what are you doing? He's hit some big shots. He loves it here in Toronto. He's, he's, he's got the shimmy. He's yeah. great with the media. He flipped him into Norman Powell. And I, I just think that there is a proven track record that we should let it breathe just a little bit. Look at the long view. We will let this conversation breathe. Take a quick break. Have more. I'm going deep. Thanks for listening. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma and Granddad. We continue on Going Deep. Joined now by Sham. You know him. From all of his work, social and, and kiss, but I, I, I need your help because you two are a big time basketball follower, Raptors fan, and I was talking yesterday on this show with him and friends in the first block of this show that I, I feel like the entire Raptors fan base needs a three day retreat, like just <laughs> needs to to. Touch some bark and peel it to breathe some fresh air, just to relax a little. Because I feel like I feel like people are showing up on you know Sunday or Monday and Wednesday 
watching, looking for a reason to get mad. Mm. And then it just spills into Twitter. Now, I will say that in all things, uh, the minority is the most vocal, like not us as minorities, sure. but the, the small Number percentage one. of people. Yeah. And two, I don't know if, and I should change the settings back to the old school way, if the algorithm of social media is showing me the people on both sides of the aisle of all issues, including this one, and I'm not just seeing what Twitter used to be, which would be tweets in real time just scrolling. Right. What say you? I'm going to be honest with you. Normally, I am the person who would preach patience for the Raptors fan base. I am now amongst the angst. You're vaccinated. I am mad. Let me tell you something. 2019 but, but was wait, the... Who are you mad at? Everything. Like, I'm just <laughs> mad. I'm mad at the team. I'm mad at Raptors Twitter. I'm angry. I'm an angry bitter Raptors fan. Look, 2019 was the best and worst thing that happened to this fan base, right? Came out of nowhere winning the championship. We know what the city was like. Insane. It was great. But it set expectations to be so unrealistic. We have champagne taste now. It, it, yes. Yes. And, and not on a champagne budget no. at, at all, right? Um, the Toronto Raptors are still sort of um, handcuffed by the same restraints that we were back in 2018. 2017 prior to 2019 um it's just that we won a championship so now we expect to be contenders every single year people have to remember we weren't even really contenders until playoff time in 2019 right like we we were we were we were i wouldn't i wouldn't have put us amongst the elite of the of the eastern conference teams at that time um i hate everything about the raptors right now they make me angry they make i, I can't watch a game the you know more more recently the the Milwaukee and the New York games where you know the comebacks and you lose and um, who they just beat recently um, Portland Portland right you know great but it it got it got to the point where you know it was almost game time and they and they almost came back and beat us uh, everything about the Raptors frustrates me um, I would have said you know certain players on the teams are untradeable trade everybody <laughs> Any, anybody and I don't mean that, sorry I shouldn't say trade everybody make everybody available. Everybody's got to be available now. My issue was we've we've seen this movie in the sense where people are acting as if Masai Jury just has his feet up on the desk and is not taking any phone calls, not not doing his job. But whether it was you were vexed that he traded Gravis Vasquez because he was cute and cuddly and lovable, <laughs> you were vexed that he traded DeMar DeRozan because he had a loyalty tattoo. You were vexed that he traded Jonas Valanciunas. And quite frankly, I, I felt like Jonas got a raw deal. But you were mad that he didn't draft Jalen Suggs and he drafted Scotty Barnes. You're mad that he moved on from Dwayne Casey and he gave Nick Nurse the job. There has been a track record where we have doubted, overreacted, only to be like, all right, my bad. Evidently, you know what you're doing. And it's not even just him, individual players. Raptors Twitter tried its hardest to run Pascal Siakam out of our city. Multiple times. Right. But especially in the bubble. Yeah. When he, when he clearly, as many people were, was struggling through COVID. And so he, he bounces back. He's an all-star. And it's like, okay, well, we like him, but we don't like everybody else. 
you loved Fred at this time last year when you were caping for him to be an all-star. And so I, I just feel like we have super short memories because we're drunk off that champagne taste that we have. And we are in a what are you doing for me now sort of society, right? Um, you know, I also think with the Eastern Conference being as open as it is or as LeBronless as it's been, we see, you know, we see a window for us to, to win, to win now. You know, uh, the Bucks and the Celtics are the cream of the crop in the East. But the Raptors have proven that they can play with those teams. So when when you're sitting at 12th in the in the standings, where I believe they are as of this recording, um, it's frustrating because you say to yourself, why aren't you amongst the top in this conference? There's no LeBron. There's no excuse Remember, because LeBron's been LeBron being in the conference has been was the excuse for a long, long time, except for 2019. He's not in the conference anymore. And we are we still can't find a way to succeed on any sort of consistent basis at the top of the East. And I think that's frustrating. Now I agree with you, you know, trying to, trying to trade away Fred and Pascal is just, is people want to get rid of Scotty. I mean, guys, in year, he's in year two <laughs> and people want to get rid of him. That's crazy. But I also understand the angst because you know, you're, you, you go, I, I went into the season saying to myself, the Raptors are going to be a top four team in the East. They may not make it to the playing game. It's looking more and more like that. And that's disappointing and frustrating as hell as a Raptors fan. The interesting thing is we are at a place in sports where only one team can be happy. And they can only be happy for three months until the offseason is over. Because the Golden State Warriors just won the championship. And they're on the back end of a dynasty. And their fans are like, James Wiseman is a bum. You wasted that pick you should have drafted Lamelo or Anthony Edwards or anybody else when is Kaminga going to take the next step is Clay washed Steph Curry needs more help get Draymond out of here he punched Jordan Poole in the face Jordan Poole turns the ball over at the end of games has Steve Kerr actually done anything when his roster wasn't loaded like they they just they just won, just won. they yeah. just won mm-hmm. so whether it's the Rams in football who just won and now are five and seven and their coach might not be here for the rebuild might take that Amazon money and go do <laughs> something gone. else. Right? It, it, it's like, you can only be so happy for so long in sports. And then where is uh, the next disaster around the, the bend that we want to be upset about? And ultimately sports is supposed to be a distraction from the things that suck in your life. No, It's I not know. supposed to be the thing that sucks in yeah. your life. And it does, right? It, you know what I liken it to? You ever play Monopoly and you're losing? All the right? time. It, you just should have just said, do you ever play Monopoly? Because <laughs> sure, I'm sure. always losing. But it, but there's no, for me at least, no lower feeling than playing Monopoly and to be losing and to just watch and wherever you roll the dice, you know you're about to pay, right? You just consistently lose and there's just no glimmer of hope. That's what it feels like to be a sports fan and, and specifically a Raptors fan right now. I also think that's what it feels like to be a press officer for the royal family right now. Oh, my who is just fielding question after question while Harry is on his scorched earth tour. So good. Find me a journalist he hasn't sat down with. So good. I thought, okay, Anderson Cooper's going to get his two blocks. They're going to go through the whole thing. They're essentially going to tell you the whole book, so you don't got to buy the book. But then I was like, wait, my guy's talking to Michael Strahan on Nightlight. He's here. He's there. 
He's everywhere at Frederick. He's talking about his family. I love it. You do? I love it. I'm going to tell you why. So I, I, I know a lot of people are very much against Harry and Meghan and all that stuff, right? I love every bit of this for two reasons. One, I love mess. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just terrible that way. I love mess. But he's taking control of his own narrative in a way that we're not used to seeing celebrities, especially people in the royal family, do. And people have a problem with it. And I find that to be so fascinating. It's I, I always I, I kind of put it this way. Would you rather him say absolutely nothing, right? Allow the British press, which are not exactly known to be fair, especially to him. He, he blames them for his mother's death, right? Um, would you rather allow them to just go with whatever narrative that they want? Say whatever you want. Don't don't fight back. Don't push back at all. And just shut up and say nothing. No, he's saying, no, you know what? Enough of that. Enough of that. I'm going to come out and let you know exactly what is. And, and I think what's especially interesting is that, and he's, he said this a couple times, is that his own family have been feeding the British media some of the gossip and the, and the stuff about him and his wife. So he's clapping back and he's going to profit off it. Yo, that's, that's a move. I love it. The scariest person in any scenario is the person who has nothing to lose. And we're seeing it with Harry. We're starting to see it with LeBron, who's starting to leak out. They know what they need to do. We all know what they need to do. They've got these picks they don't want to trade. And at some point, if you have someone with some power who's pushed in a corner, there's only one thing that they're going to do. I still can't imagine it because I have siblings. Sure. I have a mother. I, I can imagine what as much as you can have a disagreement with someone i could imagine that there's still some places that are sacred some places that you don't go and and maybe it's just because i'm west indian and you certainly <laughs> don't you certainly don't be out here you you know, that on front street talking about no. your family talk about your parents sure whether it's you sham whether it's you show show could you imagine talking you know, family secrets about your Trinidadian father. How would how would that conversation go? Not well. So maybe the the the, the royal family uh, hasn't learned the lessons that are the first and only lesson in the families of all of the places that they've colonized. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but uh, you know, I if if my dad was was prince or now king, it would, I would get the you think you're smarter than me talk. And it look. would be more than a, a talk, but I, I, I can't, I can't imagine it. But I also, at some point, do you have to go and keep it one hundred? Can you keep it ninety nine? Do you have to talk about the fact that your brother's balding? Like you have to put that detail. Like we, we can see that, Harry. But you know what, though, again, think about it this way, right? Like from Harry's perspective, and we don't see it in the in the public. William and Prince and, and Charles have been talking bare smack about him and his wife feeding the press. So he says, you know what? I'm going to keep it all the way. Bald and bald and, and, and all of it. And I'm going to let everybody know your business. I'm going to let everybody know what you do. You're dirt because they have kind of hidden behind a cloak of silence, right? That's typically how the royal family handles these, these type of matters. And he's saying, nah, I'm not letting you guys hide anymore. This stuff killed my mom, allegedly, right? And I'm going to make sure that you don't mess with my family, my wife. I'm sick of y'all, and I'm blowing it all up. 
and I think it's great. It's such good content too. It really is. <laughs> There's at some point there has to be a moral high ground that you take that you don't want to get in the mess with them. You know, Michelle Obama famously said when you know they go low, we go high. There's a not exactly the same, but still an internally family conflict that's going on in sports with Greg Berhalter, coach of the U.S. men's national team. Gio Reyna, son of Claudio Reyna, former teammate of Berhalter on the national team, former captain of the national team. Prodigy, didn't play much at the World Cup, Berhalter's choice, and this is someone who's essentially his godson, wasn't happy about it, didn't handle it well, was pouting. Berhalter at a leadership conference of all places, one of those conferences where it's like, you know, no cell phones, no recording, we keep it in-house, says that there's a situation, which we all knew about because he wasn't playing. At some point, we thought we might need to send him home. He was that disruptive. Now, of course, the transcript gets leaked, and that's out there. And his, you know, quote-unquote, good friends and family see this as a betrayal because he's speaking on their son, and what do they do? Raina's mother, who's teammates with Burhalter's wife in college, they played soccer together as well, says, well, you know what Greg Burhalter did when he was my son's age, when he was 18? Goes to the Federation and says he domestically abused his wife, kicked her outside of a bar. Now, this was 30 years ago. They've since had four kids, not to excuse you know, the, the behavior. But I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, if you're burning it all down, yeah, I mean, I guess the vengeance might feel good in the moment, but you you have to live with being the person who outed your former friend as being a domestic abuse survivor, and your son now has to deal with the repercussions. He's going to be seen as the golden boy wherever he goes, that mommy and daddy are fighting his, his battles. I heard a quote recently that said, essentially, we look back at high school and think, about all of the drama in high school was so high school. No, we just grow up as adults and carry the same drama in our workplaces, yep. in our friend groups. And like, like we're, we still stay the same. That's not high school. That's just us. That's just humans. That's, I, listen, I, again, I love mess. So for me, all of it, it's amazing <laughs> to, to, to what? To witness. You're just rubbernecking the, I just the love entire it. thing. It's so good. But that's where I was going to go with it. Imagine, you know, she does all that under the design of, you know, protecting her son and, and all that stuff. You've now done more harm, harm. to him yeah, than true. ever. Because how can he be in how can he be in any locker room moving forward? Who's gonna trust that guy? Right? Like you you don't want somebody like that knowing you know what his family are capable of if he doesn't what get all the playing time, if he doesn't start. What coach wants to coach him? Nobody. And deal with that. Nobody wants to deal with that nonsense. It's messy. I like mess, as I've said before, but that's that, uh, that's gross. I don't like that. Uh, I don't like that at all. When there is mess to be put in further perspective, you're the first call. Thank you for this. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again to Shem. His handle on Twitter is at Shem. He's a big deal. He's just got his name. Uh, we transition from Shem to show and show I feel like a false advertiser. So I've been hyping up the college football national championship before. Yeah. All love is lost for it in the 
Field Expanse, the last true title game that we've got. Frogs versus dogs. Tim asked me on Tim and Friends yesterday, does TCU have a chance? Of course they do. They're not only going to cover, it's going to be close. And boy, was I wrong. You were close for a little bit. It was like 10-7 at one point. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I told you before that college football is not exactly uh, my forte, but I was I was on the air last night when the game was on. So I was sitting in here in the studio, and I thought to myself, you know what, Donovan's gonna for sure want to talk about this tomorrow. Like <laughs> I should be I should be a good producer. I should watch this sporting event. I should probably know like get something out of this. I placed a bet on the game. I took the over on the Brock Bowers receiving yards, and boy did he deliver. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Brock Bowers. Uh, have I ever watched you play before last night? No, but I appreciate you making me some money last night. Uh, but uh, I, I thought to myself, yeah, Donovan's really gonna want to talk about this. So I'll watch it. And man, sixty-five to seven, like that game could have been an email. That could have been a, we could have just had a quick chat, like maybe uh, Kirby Smart could have just been like, yeah, you know what? We win by the largest victory. I, I was told it was the largest bowl victory, not just in the national championship game, but the largest bowl victory ever, ever. Like, you know, of all the billion bowl games that get played on a yearly basis, I know there's more this year than there have been in the past, but like ever, that that is astonishing. My goodness. It is. Eh. I, I mean, I did feel that the true national championship game was Georgia, Ohio State, but I thought TCU, especially with adequate time to prepare, would have looked more prepared. But Stetson Bennett, the Your legacy, cousin. Your cousin. <laughs> my 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 cousin, my godson, the <laughs> legacy of Stetson Bennett the fourth, the man named after a cowboy hat, the man whose nickname is the mailman and as such has worn postal hats everywhere he goes. He's been in four playoff bowl games. He's won them all. MVP, MVP of them all leaves Georgia with two national championships. I, I think at this point you have to say in the state of Georgia, Stetson Bennett, Greater than Herschel Walker. Now, Herschel Walker is both liked and disliked for many different reasons right now, politically. But we we talked about it earlier this week. Think about all of the great players, but especially quarterbacks Georgia has had. Stetson Bennett leads them to two national championships with both his arm and his legs. Now we transfer into draft valuation time and as much as I was down on the thought of him having a real legitimate NFL career I, I I feel like some team or teams will have to take a look at him not in the first round because there are so many quarterback options this year uh, with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud leading the class at the top but I mean Max Duggan is someone who's going to be an early day pick and after watching the two of them play could you make an argument that he is more equipped to play at the next level than Stetson Bennett I don't know if you can well Stetson Bennett does seem to remind me a little bit like he's like a more athletic I don't know A.J. McCarron like remember when A.J. McCarron played for it was Alabama right and uh so you're a more athletic A.J. McCarron like A.J. McCarron was not <laughs> athletic at all only Greg McElroy was less <laughs> athletic than A.J. McCarron 
I well, I, I just wonder what like the athletic profile of Stetson Bennett is can even be compared to because I mean you talked about this with Cabby, but I mean he's what he's twenty five or twenty six. So, like I think if you compare him to guys like even Jalen Hurts who's in the NFL race, the MVP race in the NFL right now. He may not win it, but still, Jalen Hurts is, I think he's like 200 days younger than Stetson Bennett, and he's been in the NFL for several seasons already, right? So I'm not sure, like, I guess I'm not sure what the ceiling is for someone like Stetson Bennett, but at the same time, you're right. Like after winning two back-to-back titles, the first since Alabama the, in 2010, 2011, I think, how can, the way the NFL works, how can someone not take a look at him. Like I, I do kind of wonder though, I mean, we've seen also other wide, re- uh, pardon me, other QBs transition to wide receiver. Like I, can, I can't help but think that of maybe like a Julian Edelman or even last Ooh, year, okay. like, a, like I know, uh, I forget what school he played for, but he was like a l- former lacrosse star. His name is Jared Bernhardt and he got drafted or he was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Atlanta Falcons. And he's now a, a converted wide receiver for the Falcons. So like if, if you know, but obviously Edelman was a was a QB at Kent State, or maybe like a Hunter Renfro or something mm-hmm. like that. Like those are big league wide receivers that have experience being obviously Edelman is retired, but uh, have experience being uh, quarterbacks transitioning to wide receivers. So I, like it's not as though it's unheard of. Like we could we could in theory see that happen. Maybe a, a new Randall Cobb like right target for Aaron Rodgers, assuming he's still. A quarterback in the national. Stetson Bennett line. is a is a New England Patriot. Like if you ever, <laughs> if I ever saw one. Like my goodness, that's a Bill Belichick day three pick. If I if I've ever seen one, just do your job the Patriot way. Yeah, he does seem like a a Pats player. He is older than Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert, who are going to play against each other mm-hmm. in the playoffs this weekend. He's the same age as Lamar Jackson, who's looking for his first big-time contract in the NFL after signing his rookie deal. But at the same point, age is just a number, and it's not as if he has lots of tread on those tires because he didn't play much at Georgia until the last two seasons. So for many reasons, I'm all in on this NFL draft and the fact that now we're going to have Stetson Bennett hot takes on both sides of the aisle is exactly the type of content I need. Look, if he, if he doesn't get drafted, he will either be, and he doesn't go to the NFL, he will either be the most successful car salesman or insurance salesman in the history of the state of Georgia. Or you mentioned Herschel Walker. He will be a U.S. Senator by the time he is 30 years old. Like one, one of those two things are in Stetson Bennett's future. If he does not make it to the NFL. See, I was going to say he becomes the Tony Romo of the SEC network. Okay. I can see that. Sure. Just immediately in the booth lead play by play, uh, pairing with uh, with him and you know Gene Tessitore or something right. like that. <laughs> I'm also all in on that uh, scenario as well. Can I just say also my my favorite part of the national championship game? Just to wrap up, was at the very end of the game. It was already 65 to seven. The game was it was over. It had been over for a long time, but like the time on the clock was starting to run out. I don't even know what the guy's name was, but like the fifth string running back gets the ball for Georgia and he runs out there. And it was like a wide open field. There's like nobody else out on the field. And he he looked like he intentionally sought out the defender 
just to feel something, like just to experience a tackle in the national championship game. And then the clock ran out and the game ended. And I thought, boy, like that guy could have just walked into the end zone. And he just decided, I guess he just decided that to end the game on a, maybe he was being a good sport. Like, I don't know. Right. But it just, I saw that. And I thought to myself, good for you guy. Cause if I was that guy and I'd only saw the, seen the field for one play in the, and it was in the national championship game and the field was open, I would be running sprinting for the end zone. But uh, that's why I'm not a professional athlete. I, I would agree. I would be looking for a house call. He evidently was looking for a reason to <laughs> go to the trainer's room and show that he did get in the game and maybe needed, you know, rehab or some wounds to show that I, I was grinding with my team as well, but I don't think it makes him a good sport. If he's a good sport, he would have just taken a knee. Like that's he, true. he yeah, woke up and he chose true. violence yeah, to end uh, the game. So we'll see. We've got some good shows though coming up in a couple days. We will catch up with Ian Hennemansing. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned to this space uh, for that. What else we got uh, in the queue? I know Alex Wong from the Raptors show yes. is going to pop by. Alex is going to stop by. Maybe we can take some uh, more stock of the Raptors. We did a lot today, but take some more stock of the Raptors ahead of next month's trade deadline. Uh, got some CFL content, some uh, hashtag hot CFL content coming up, which is your specialty. So I think there's some good things coming down the pipeline. I look forward to the, the chat with the commissioner. I look forward to it as well. I don't know if he looks forward to it. <laughs> Maybe but not. we will catch up with Commissioner Randy Ambrosi uh, in the coming days here on Going Deep. Thank you for listening to Completion on this day. Be sure to like, favorite, share, subscribe, all of that podcast stuff that us hosts ask you to do because that is the currency with which podcasts are adjudicated. On behalf of Show and Lance, thanks for listening.